Hello and welcome back to the F2 show. I'm your host, Fraser Ford, and returning to the show, we have Inside F2 editors Hannah Brufuk and L.A. Wilshaw, and we also have GP Grandstand's Jim Kimberley. Coming up on today's show, we'll be reviewing all of the action from a thrilling weekend in Monaco. Who were the winners and the losers in the championship this weekend? We discuss all. And finally, we'll be getting the panel to answer all of your questions off the back of this weekend. So much to discuss, so let's get stuck into it straight away. Uh, LA, it's great to have you back with us. Um, some incredible action across the weekend. We waited eight weeks for Formula 2 to be back on our screens. And uh, yeah, it was how good was it to have Formula 2 back? And also to be back in Monaco for the first time after, after two years. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, the Monaco Grand Prix, whether it be Formula One, Formula Two, is my favourite race of the season. And it's not necessarily for the obvious reasons of, you know, like loads of overtaking or lots of action on track. It's just the the event itself. It's the enormity of it. And it's, it's not just exciting because it's back. It was exciting because we had to wait eight weeks, you know, and, and it kind of felt like it feels like now the season started. I don't know how the rest of you feel. Because there now feels like there can be some momentum to it. You know, the next race is, is only a couple of weeks away. And of course, Monaco didn't disappoint for Formula 2. Lots of action on track, a bit of overtaking, you know, a couple of crashes, a couple of pit stop nightmares. And I'm sure we'll all get into that. Yeah, absolutely. Quarter of the way through the season already. That is uh, it's crazy, isn't it? But obviously, Hannah, we had the uh, discussion on the preview show about can sometimes Monaco be a little bit boring, uh, but it didn't disappoint this weekend in Formula 2, did it? Absolutely not. I think my point still stands is that Monaco for Formula 1 is boring. It doesn't have the overtaking capabilities that other tracks have, but for Formula 2, where the cars are smaller and lighter, and with possible Formula One careers on the line, the drivers were just in fine form. I have to admit, some of those overtakes, like Dan Tickton on Oscar Piastri heading out of the tunnel, it had my heart in my throat. I didn't think it was going to work. I think overall, the whole weekend was just some of the best driving that we'd seen. And a couple of sub drivers that surprised me, I think a couple came out of the shells a bit more and hopefully started to have a bit of a boost to their season, which is good to see. And it also showed how tight the championship is, especially between the returning drivers compared to the rookies, because I don't think at the moment there's at least probably eight to nine drivers you could say have a realistic shot at the championship. And overall, Monaco was just some of the best. It was helped by different circumstances. For example, the rain for uh, Sprint Race 2, I think that did help a lot. But I've got to take hats off to Monaco. Formula 2, if Formula 1 doesn't go there, Formula 2 definitely should. Yeah, I agree with you there. It was epic, wasn't it? And, and Jim, who stood out for you this weekend? Who, who were the drivers that had a really good weekend? You know what? Because a lot of people are going to go straight to Paul Cher, and rightly so. He was oh, on another level, wasn't he? I couldn't believe this is... He was the youngest winner now in Formula 2. And yeah, the, everyone's going to talk about how good he was, and they should. But Ralph Bashong for me, he has had this magic comeback and then he was just solid the entire time. I was devastated that he didn't get a podium. Um, it would have been the proper way to send off that great weekend, but he'll be delighted. He's getting his best F2 finishes at Monaco repeatedly. He was so there all of the time. And not his biggest fan because Formula 2 should be about young drivers coming through, but hats off to Nassani, made the podium for the first time as well, so you can't ignore that. But yeah, Porsche's the standout driver. He really arrived in Formula 2 this weekend, I thought. 
yeah, we're going to come on to that a bit later, but it's definitely a good weekend for, for those drivers. So let's take a look at the championship standings after round two. Guan Yu Zhou leads the way after a strong weekend with Oscar Piastri not too far behind. Teo Porcher, as we've just said, propels himself up four places in the championship to P3 with Dan Tictum and Liam Lawson rounding up the top five. And the team standings. UNI Virtuosi are top of the leaderboard after round two after accumulating a big point call uh, this weekend. They're followed by Prima, who are trailed by Carlin, ART and Hitech, who all of those are separated by just nine points. If you want to see the full standings, you can head over to www.insidef2.com. Only one place to start, though, Hannah, and that's with our championship leader, Guan Yu Zhou. Uh, he extended his championship lead this weekend from 11 points after Bahrain to 16 points. Uh, a solid weekend, a consistent weekend, obviously winning sprint race one, uh, a P5 in the feature race as well. Is that consistency what separated him from the rest of the field so far? I would say so. I think kind of a mix of consistency, skill, or his talent, and a little bit of luck for some of his championship rivals, I think, overall. On the weekend, qualifying 10th wasn't bad. I don't necessarily think. I think he could have done a bit better in qualifying. But overall, given the tight margins in Monaco, at least he was in the top 10. And it obviously helped head into the sprint race one. Taking that victory, I think, was important for him to show that what happened in Bahrain wasn't a fluke and it gives him that level of momentum. He's now shown multiple race winner in Formula 2, championship leader. I think some people maybe underplay how much of an impact that does have because you're going to have that level of confidence in yourself and your abilities. And I think with the weekend, obviously didn't do as well in the second sprint race. I was surprised you and I virtually took the risk on the strategy going on to slicks in the wet conditions, I think. I'm, I was excited to see it because it was a gamble and normally teams play it safe. And I was disappointed that it didn't work out because I think if it had worked out, it would have been, you would have been in the points playing positions probably. And then obviously in the second sprint, in the feature race, finishing fifth, I think that consistency has helped him. I think it does maybe show, especially for him, the level of experience he has in the series. Third season there, he knows those cars now like the back of his hand compared to, say, the rookies. It was helped by the fact that obviously Lawson got disqualified from his victory in sprint race two. But overall, you can't kind of knock him and you've got to take hats off to him because you can be, look at last year, Callum Eilert was the fastest guy on track most of the time. But because he was unlucky and didn't have the consistency, he ultimately lost the championship to Mick Schumacher. So consistency is key in Formula 2 and it proves that you can't have a bad weekend or a bad day under the new format. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you, Jim, is, you know, Mick Schumacher won the, the championship last year and it was that consistency that, that did win him the title. Uh, how important is consistency in Formula 2? It's the most important thing there is, I, I'd say, that you can have, like say this Porsche again, you could have a, a stellar weekend like this and have a couple of those all season, but you could end up finishing fifth in the championship. It, it really doesn't matter. Joe was nowhere, thanks to Virtuosi's, as Hannah alluded to, Virtuosi's gamble, which I want to actually give them a, a round of applause for it. Because my opinion was they weren't going to be scoring points as the race stood. It's Monaco. So if the drying track was dry enough for slicks, they would have been looking like absolute kings, wouldn't they? Of getting away and maybe stealing some points from nowhere. And their strategy call in the feature race was absolutely bang on. You could see Joe... Just waiting for the safety car. He was on what? How many 
laps of those tires done and there's virtual safety car, virtual safety car, virtual safety car. If the safety car came out, he could have got a podium as well. And him just not having any mistakes at Monaco. I was seeing Schwartzman, who should be right up there fighting for the championship. Joe kept out the wall, kept it consistent, and he's rewarded with a victory and a good haul of points in the feature race. And Monaco getting points from 10th place, unlikely, uh, for the sprint race too. But yeah, he's that consistency could really keep him steady. Lundgaard as well, very quick. And then he hasn't been... He's had a misfortune, but that lack of consistency could really hurt him come the season's end. Yeah, a difficult weekend for, for Christian Lundgaard again. Uh, but LA, let's talk about our youngest ever Formula 2 winner, Teo Porcher. Uh, anyone that watches the junior categories know how good this guy is. But to do it in Formula 2 at Monaco, uh, in front of the Formula uh, for the Formula 1 paddock, uh, at 17 years old in his second round of Formula 2. I mean, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Ha- has a star been born this weekend? Um, yeah, you know, I kind of think all these guys are stars. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's not by fluke. They are brought through these feeder series um, w- with this in mind to make them stars. You know, they're, they're very much uh, uh, trained and groomed, you know, to be to be this great. Um, and, and he's just proof of the pudding that what's been happening in the last few years in the feeder series is working perfectly. Um, so, yeah, he's a star, but they're all stars in my eyes. Um, and, and you're right about, you know, his other successes. I mean, he was the champion in Formula Four in 2019, and it was an incredibly close, tight battle last year for him in Formula Three. You know, he only finished three points behind the championship winner, Piastri. Um, and, and it was obviously between three of them, you know, with Sargent just one point behind him. So, you know, he finished second there. Um, so when we're talking about consistency, he is con- consistently up there and he knows how to win a championship or to at least come second. Um, and already, yes, you know, he, he had a, a rough kind of first race weekend. He did have that retirement, then the sixth and the eighth place. And this weekend, he's had the seventh and the fourth, but then the first place. Um, and if you look at the others, you can kind of say, well, Piastri's, you know, be, had, had better results or, you know, whoever's had better results. Um, but to be on home soil, I'm sure he felt a home advantage and that does benefit, you know, it benefits people in other sports having a home advantage. And I'm sure that he, he felt very much at home, a wonderful atmosphere that Monaco does create, you know, and those stands and those fans, few of them as there were, they weren't just there for Charles Leclerc in Formula One. They were there for him. They had flags out for him. It was and a massive one- flag, wasn't it? It was huge, yeah. And how wonderful must that have felt for him? Um, and so, you know, and I think this will propel him forward very much so. You know, 17 years old and, and he's making history. And that came across in the press conference afterwards. He was, his, um, his whole aura, you know, he seems such a wonderful young man and very well-spoken, very friendly. And you could just see the excitement just pouring out of him and the pure joy of what he'd just done. And I think sometimes the drivers can take a while to come down from a race win. And sometimes you, you can't necessarily sense what they're feeling, but you could absolutely sense his joy of that win during that conference afterwards. And it was, it was a pleasure to have seen that. Yeah, he was absolutely elated, wasn't he? Uh, let's take a listen uh, to his team radio message after the race. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
They came prepared. They came with the flag. How much of a following has he already got? And you've got a flag that big. Uh, Jim at Luke Buckle 12 on Instagram has asked, has Teo Porcher catapulted himself into the title race? Yeah, I'd say so. It was a commanding win, wasn't it? It was never under any doubt on that feature race. It shows the level of maturity for the youngest race winner in Formula 2, that he has the ability, and then again, half the field do, but he has the ability and arguably the car to mount a championship fight. The, the way that people went on about Porsche in the run-up to this season, thinking, okay, it's his rookie year, this might be a building year. There's the Piastri as well, but... Half the half of these rookies that have come up, they're all in a championship fight, I think. Porsche definitely is. Piastri probably is. But from the Porsche side of things, he's probably got a really strong shot. If, yeah, I'd say even a top three finish, i say even like it's not a big deal, but a top three finish in your rookie year in Formula 2, he's got a real chance of looking at a Formula 1 seat with that Sauber link that Giovinazzi's got points at Monaco well done he's, he's looking stronger but I don't know where he goes and Raikkonen's got to be thinking about retirement at this point so what's better way than to say goodbye to the oldest driver than to bring in the youngest driver it would be amazing to see so very much in the championship fight yeah absolutely I agree so let's talk about Oscar Piastri Hannah uh, another good weekend another consistent weekend again uh, how, how important is that consistency going to be I think it's going to be absolutely crucial for me. Oscar might not have been the quickest on track, might not have been the most jazzy or show-stopping, but he was the driver I was most impressed by the whole weekend. I think with Formula 2, as Jim said, you cannot underestimate how important that consistency is. You could have done brilliant weekends and then your championship goes sour by a couple of mistakes. Look at Robert Schwartzman last year. The double header at Silverstone ruined his campaign. But for me, Piastri Monaco was just, I think it highlighted for me why the rookies this year are so good. Even though they don't have that experience, they have that, I don't want to say common sense, but that kind of knowledge and understanding of you don't win a campaign by being the quickest, you win a campaign by being the smartest. He may be, for example, in the battle with Lawson during uh, Sprint Race 2, the fact that he defended it fairly, he could have maybe defended it a bit more, but likely it was that would have probably caused an incident and ruined both their races. He had the level of knowledge and intelligence and the maturity to play it, not say safe, but play it sensible and get those whole points. Like of all the drivers, qualified in third, finished eighth in sprint race one, second in sprint race two, and second again in the feature race. Few drivers can say they've come out of any of the weekends with a similar level of points. Two podiums in Monaco. Most drivers want one. He's got two, so it's not half a bad day in the office. And I would say... It for me heights why I'd say Teo Pusher and Oscar Piastri have to be two of the main title contenders this year. Alongside Liam Lawson, I think there's four rookies in the top 10. And it does maybe prove to me how the rookies this year don't seem to be having as, di as much difficulty getting to grips with the car as, say, they've had in previous years. They all seem to be flying. And I think it's great to see. And overall, it proves that even though a lot of the guys say, oh, I'm not thinking of the championship just yet, it's too early. The third of the way through the season... Oscar has got to be thinking of the championship by this point. And I think if he carries on like this, he will be a serious title contender. Yeah, Can I so just good. jump in? Sorry, Fraser. 
Can I just jump in and just back what you say up, Hannah? Because not only was Piastri staying out of the walls, he was fighting wheel to wheel throughout the entire weekend and keeping out of the wall. I was so impressed with that, that I might want to go back and say Piastri was a driver that impressed because he wasn't the quickest, but he was battling against Tictum. He was battling against Lawson, like you say, and despite jumping the chicane to stay away from the barriers, he kept his nose clean, literally, and finished the races, which is that consistency that you mentioned, Hannah. Yeah, I really want to just exemplify how good he was this weekend for thinking long-term. We saw Schwartzman, his teammate, first lap, first race, weekend screwed up from that. Whereas Piastri, yeah, masterclass. He's showing a real level of... Oh, sorry, sorry, LA, go on. But that's one of the most impressive things about Couchere as well. Um, I think just because he was leading didn't make doesn't mean that was an easy race for him by any means. I remember a few years ago, Lewis Hamilton describing the cat and the mouse situation. And he, he actually said he always preferred to be the cat chasing the mouse rather than the mouse being chased by a cat. And if you can imagine Couchere in that race, he was the mouse being chased by all the cats. And, and, you know, Schwartzman in the in the opening laps and then you had Tipton, you know, later on in the race, absolutely pushing him. And he actually described the beginning of that race as well as throughout the race as being very intense. And he, he was terrified. He was frightened on that on the start because he knows what Monaco's like and he was very aware of everyone obviously trying to get get past him on the off the line um, and, and that fear. Um, that that was in him he obviously must have honed that fear and it was perhaps with him throughout the race and he managed to get through that race unscathed kept his nose clean as you've just said Jim for for another driver and won that race and to me that was actually what was the most impressive uh, aspect of him winning that race not just because he won a race at Monaco but because of how he won it and the reason why he won it and although Baku is a very, very different track, it's still a street circuit, but it's a very different kind of street circuit. The, the barrier aspect of it still being a street circuit, I actually feel that that would benefit him greatly because of the, the, that entire experience that he went through. The, the level of, of maturity of these rookies is, is, is simply incredible, isn't it, for, for, for them being at such a, a young age. But if, for example, Jim, if, if Oscar Piastri does go and win the championship this season, is he giving Alpine a headache? Obviously, Fernando Alonso tied down uh, to a two-year contract. Esteban Ocon, uh, really impressing at the moment. You've got Pierre Gasly sniffing around for that seat. If you then throw in Oscar Piastri into that mix where... He's, he's won the Formula 3 Championship at the first time of asking. He's then come into Formula 2 and won the Formula 2 Championship at the first time of asking. You know, can, they, can Alpine ignore him if he does that? I don't know which... <laughs> I don't know who I'd rather be in this sort of situation with these drivers coming through with Red Bull, with some of the amount of options that they've got, but or Alpine. But Alpine have got a real problem away from Piastri. So Piastri, yeah, if he wins... In his first season, how can you not promote him? But if he doesn't, Joe is in for a tremendous chance of winning and how can you not promote him? And on the bad side of things, if Joe wins, then you've got this huge market for Renault of China being the first Chinese driver. And I hate, I spoke to Joe recently and I hated having to bring it up because he's every interview, your first Chinese driver in Formula One, if you make it there. That's a huge problem. And 
Alpine just don't have enough Formula One, but Alpine in particular don't have enough cars for these drivers to come through. And maybe the Alonso problem could figure itself out if he has more races like he had today uh, when we're filming this on race day because he was nowhere. And I don't know if he'd want to actually stick around to have Ocon embarrass him week after week. It's not been the heroic return that he expected two years out of the sport. I didn't. I don't want to say I expected it, but if he came back with Alpine, who were midfield at best, and then came back and was challenging for points and outdoing Gokon, who, let's not forget, had a mediocre season last year, I would have been thinking, oh, well, that, that Alonso is good. I know he's good. He's won two championships. He's won Le Mans. He's going to be going for the triple crown. He probably will get it when he gets the right opportunity. I just don't know why he's back. So, yeah, it creates a problem. Um, Gasly sniffing for the seat, that's a good story as well. Lundgaard, let's not forget, he's got possibilities. It's still early in the season, over a quarter way through, but Lundgaard's had awful luck, uh, awful luck, but that sort of stuff tends to work its way out throughout the season. Deruva Miller may uh, disagree based off last year, but yeah, Alpine are looking like such a strong academy right now. And yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem for them. Alonso at the moment, early in the season, could be the one that we saw what happened to, to Perez with a contract. Maybe he could be on his way out, which would be an awful way to return to F1. That would be controversial, wouldn't it? Uh, Fernando Alonso, two-time champion, being booted from, from an Alpine seat to be replaced by a Formula 2 driver. Um, and an- another guy that's potentially, you know, looking at a shot in Formula 1 next season, Dan Tictum, uh, obviously the eventual race winner uh, in race two. Uh, he doesn't do boring weekends, does he, Hannah? Uh, it would have been a-, a-, a brilliant weekend for him. Had he not parked his car down at Raskas uh, in the feature race, it would it would have been a brilliant weekend for him. It- how disappointed will he be and-, and how do you think he'll reflect on the weekend? I think he's probably very gutted with what happened. I think overall is his position in the championship. He's fourth at the moment, but that doesn't necessarily reflect the speed or the ability he's shown, especially around Monaco. It's ironic because he's actually, despite his, despite it only being his second season in Formula Two, he's actually probably one of the veterans of the Monaco circuit. Same with Oscar Piastri. I think Oscar was the only driver who had made an appearance at Monaco in the junior formulas in the wet conditions was Dan had been there when he had been in Renault Euro Cup. And I think overall the weekend was so promising. After um, speaking to him in the press conference, I, I genuinely thought he could probably possibly even challenge for a win in the feature race if he gets a brilliant start off the line. I think qualified well, finished sixth in the first race, sprint race too. The man was on a mission, I think. The fact that he got a brilliant start off the line. There was a discussion about whether the side, um, the Piastri and Tecton had the drier line. But apparently, according to a lot of the drivers, it actually didn't make that much difference. But he got a blinding start. Made sure to keep push chair behind him. And then his move on Oscar. If Formula 2 did awards for best overtakes of the season, I would genuinely be nominating that. Because I just thought it was one of the moments of it all could have ended in tears. He'd gone on the wet line. If he'd have braked a little bit too late, they'd have both ended up in the wall and it would have been the final weekend to forget for him. I think looking back over it all, you'll probably see the positives. I think he'll take the fact that he obviously has the pace and street circuits suit his driving style well. He's a two-time Macau Grand Prix winner, I don't think. I don't could underestimate that him and street circuits are a match made in heaven, but in heading into Baku, that'll only give him more confidence. I think the thing will frustrate him is that move on Oscar Piastri 
into the Ross cast. Maybe there's an argument whether he should or shouldn't have done it. I think that with hindsight, you could turn around and say he shouldn't have done it. He should have just accepted the position he was in, taken the points, and maybe on a consistent. It's a racing instinct, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's my one thing when people have criticized him. A lot of people blasted him on social media for it. And I turned around and said, if he hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have thought he was a racing driver. You naturally, you're going to go for that move. You're going to be risky. And it proves that he has the racer's instinct. And overall, I would say, yeah, it's not ideal with what happened. The fact that he was visibly despondent after that race actually kind of broke my heart a little bit because you could just tell, I think, of all of the drivers on the grid, they've all got pressure wanting to get into Formula 1. But Tickdom knows he has probably a lot more pressure on him than most do. And I think he'll be annoyed that it happened. But I think overall, he can't dwell on it for too long. They've got two weeks. If he is still thinking about Monaco and Baku, it's going to ruin that weekend. So I think you'll look back on it, take what he needs to learn from it and kind of just put it to bed. I think overall is he'll be back on fine form in Baku and I can't wait to see it. I find it funny that you're talking about disappointment when he got the win after yeah. irregularities, but I completely understand yeah. what you're saying. But what a situation to be in that he will yeah. be disappointed because of how many more points he could have got away with because he was looking yeah. at two podiums, possibly two wins. Um, yeah, yeah Tickton really impressed me this weekend. He, he I know, LA that you're a big fan of his um, as well. But for me, I've always had that bad boy image and, yeah, he's quick, but he needs to calm down. His radio completely saying, that was my fault. Sorry, guys. I really, my respect levels went up quite a lot from that uh, on that feature race. Tickton tries to roll round the outside. Piastri breaks later and uh, shepherds him all the way to the wall. Stalls, mate. I'm out, I'm out. I'm really, really sorry. I'm really sorry, guys. Yeah, but I was gutted as well for him. Very much gutted, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Robert Schwartzman, he, he had a difficult start to the weekend, hitting the wall in sprint race one. Uh, not the start that I don't think he was he was hoping for. He obviously carved his way through the field in sprint race two to earn himself two fastest lap points, actually. Uh, and then he was unlucky in the feature race to have a slow pit stop, which robbed him of a, of a second place, really. What did you make of his performance in Monaco, LA? Uh, yeah, I thought it was great, just sort of re- reiterating what Hannah just said previously about him, um, is that, yes, he hit the wall, you know, and ended up 10th uh, in the sprint race two, managing to just grab that, that you know, that 10th um, in the last few moments and got the fastest lap. Um, and also, yeah, the pit stop oh, wasn't that painful. And I'm sure it was painful for him. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it, that's one of those things. It's, it's the preparation for Formula One at the end of the day. And look at what happened to Valtteri Bottas today. You know, it's the same thing. So he needs that preparation. He needs that psychological prep for those kind of things to happen. And being with the Prema team, he's with one of the best teams, you know, in Formula Two uh, that can provide him with everything that he needs to get himself into Formula One. And I, he impressed me very much this weekend, regardless of the wall, regardless of the P10. Uh, to, to have been in that pit stop and to be sitting there waiting for what must have felt like an hour and then to come out on track and to end up finishing fourth. Like, where did that come from? You know, how, how, how can you not be impressed by him? Um, yeah, de- definitely a, a strong end to that feature race. Uh, and Hannah, Liam Lawson, we've spoken about some good moves, but what a move past Oscar Piastri for the lead in, in the sprint race too. Absolutely. I think that move was, I feel like with the whole weekend, there were just so many great moves and Liam's was brilliant. I think 
overall the fact that he was willing to go for that risk, obviously in the slightly drying conditions. Monaco is a pain to drive as it is, but trying to do it in the wet, I just think he must have had like nerves of steel or something to go in to do that move. And I think the fact that initially when the moves didn't stick, but then he dived up the inside of the Rascals, I think Oscar was very good in that they gave each other enough room because it quite easily could have gone the way that Tickton's incident went the following day, or following race. The reason he got disqualified for using the incorrect throttle map, for me, it highlighted my issue with the race stewards. They allowed the ladder to race despite not being in the 107% rule. And we all know why that got brought is in the sport. But then with Lawson, what happened with the throttle map actually didn't give an advantage. He had an incredibly poor start off the line. Was you look at the footage and Tickton nearly gets him at the start. He didn't clearly gain an advantage from it. It sucked because, to be honest, he deserved that win. Yeah, absolutely. That's a point I wanted to that you covered there, Hannah, that I wanted to pick up with you, Jim. Was disqualification a little bit harsh for as some as, as you know as Hannah's just said for something that he didn't gain an advantage from? Would like a five second or a ten second penalty have been you know more appropriate? Back in the olden days, you used to chop your hands off for stealing, and these days you get six months of community service. I feel it's something equivalent to that because. There was no advantage. A five or 10 second penalty maybe is to keep with consistency in a rule book to give a penalty. But common sense would say, what was the benefit? He didn't benefit. He actually, it was to his detriment, maybe not directly to his detriment because he just had a poor start. He gained no advantage. And to take a victory away at Monaco, oh, heartbreaking, wasn't it? It was, it wasn't, it wasn't the way Tickton would want to win the race. Um, Lawson, if he needed to get a penalty, the penalty shouldn't have been, okay, you're going to go from first down to last because we're going to disqualify you. And from things that I've read and a bit of research since, it suggests that these throttle map settings that they've got are a consistent problem with the current chassis that they've got or the engine that they've got, that they need it to prevent them stalling and we see them how difficult they find it when they go into the runoff um at Sandovot and everywhere that they they get a bit too nervy to do a put your foot down spin it round um to do a three or five point turn instead because they're too nervous that the car could stall so the problem for me is that's not a Lawson issue they've got these throttle maps in there because the way the car is set up completely outside the team's control is problematic and now he's been punished for it and yeah it's it's heartbreaking for him. It's not, I don't feel it's anything that he took, a, that he got an advantage from, in which case, if he, if he cut a chicane, gained an advantage, didn't get the place back, yeah, throw the book at him. Don't throw the book at him for such a minor, trivial issue. Give him a five-second penalty. If you're feeling really harsh, give him a drive-through, but a disqualification. That's because they didn't pick up it until after the race. It's really, really painful. He's brutal, isn't it? Absolutely brutal. And uh, those points could be costly come the end of the season. We'll wait and see. Um, LA, we saw uh, Roy Nassani on the podium for the first time in Formula 2. Uh, we also had, saw, and as Jim has already mentioned, Ralph Boschong have his best weekend in Formula 2 to date. Uh, they were straight out of the blocks in qualifying. Do, do you think the fact they had experience around Monaco in Formula 2 cars was, was beneficial for them? Uh, and did it almost make their weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, any racetrack that a, a driver can race on and then they go back again another time is very beneficial. You know, even the, the Pusher, the winner, 
will remember this next year and he'll have a great advantage, you know, over everybody. So yeah, Bashung fourth, a fifth and a sixth this weekend, which is incredibly impressive. And I agree with your comments a little bit earlier on him. Um, and Nisani, yeah, P3, you know, in that first sprint race. Um, and um, what was it you, you said before, um, Hannah, about the smartest? Um, when we're talking about consistency or doing well. And Nasani has a new approach this year, it seems. You know, he's gained some inspiration from the Nadal and Djokovic tennis match, which he's spoken about a little bit this weekend and he spoke about in the press conference. And, you know, and he's, he's looking at, he was looking at the long game for Monaco of the just trying to, you know, hold back and hold on and just do do his drive and do his little bit. And he ends up with a P3. Of course, the sprint race too, he retired. Um, but then he, he P9 um, in the feature race. So I feel that that kind of an approach, that kind of, he, he seems to be settled. And that's what can also slow and steady, you know, wins the race. Uh, pardon the pun and that's also what can maybe get the points in the bag so when it does come to the end of the season person with the most points is going to win yeah it takes him above Marcus Armstrong his teammate in the championship so uh, I'm sure he'll be happy with that because Marcus is uh, no pushover let's say that um, very unlucky you... though Marcus wasn't he very unlucky in the uh the sprint race too that could have been a completely different result he was, yeah, he's, he, he obviously, yeah, had that pole position that he, he didn't start the race for and then an accident in, in the feature race, didn't he? So I, I'm sure it's a gutting weekend and a little bit of a disappointing weekend for him as well, isn't it? Jim, you joined us on our new feature on Twitter Spaces over the weekend. Uh, if you guys at home wanted to join us for those conversations on Twitter Spaces after the race, we'll be doing that again after Baku. Um, you gave a shout out to the marshals. I mean, someone give those guys a pay rise. How quick were they this weekend? They did an incredible job. They were so good. I I was constantly in awe of it. And they didn't have any of their time to shine in the F1 race because for the first time in what, 11 odd years, no yellow flags, no safety cars. All the screw-ups are the screwing on of a wheel for Bottas. It was, it was just, yeah, Formula 2, the hardcore Formula 2 fans, we know those guys are getting cars off the track in under 90 seconds, and it was a phenomenal effort, and they deserve all the plaudits they get. We, we joked just on the pre-show about how bad the Monaco TV direction was. You cannot fault the Monaco marshals. They were so, so good from every single race. And I watched some of the Formula Regional race um, on Sunday, the second Formula Regional race. And just after the Porsches had a massive pile up going up Beau Rivage, then the Formula Regional races did with one of the cars flipping over. Those guys, they seem to be on overtime. I'm glad they got to have a bit of relaxation with the actual F1 race to watch it without having to do anything. Hey, it was a day off for them, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was lovely, absolutely, or an afternoon off, definitely. Uh, question time for our panel now. Uh, as always, we want to give you guys at home the opportunity to ask any questions that you may have through the weekend. So if you have uh, any questions in the future, please get in contact. So uh, our question from uh, Ash Buckman at, on Instagram uh, asks, who was your driver of the weekend and who do you think will be disappointed with their weekend? LA, we'll come to you for that one. Um, I think I'm going to still give it to Teo be just because of uh, the explanation I gave you before, you know, about the pressure and about coping with that pressure 
at 17 years old. I mean, he did describe, he did mention that I think he'd been karting since he was about three, I'm sure he said at some point in the press conference. Um, so, you know, some of the lads only start karting at seven. So he does have a few years over them, even though he's only 17. But even so, what an impressive drive. Um, I, I'm very disappointed for Dan, um, and I'm sure Dan's going to be disappointed too. Um, you know, he, ju he just tried to do what he could with, with that advantage. And, it, it, you know, it's Monaco. Look what happens. And I'm just, I'm, I can't be just as gutted as he is. You know, I'm, I'm not him and I'm not in that car and I've not got a Formula One career ahead of me, but I'm very gutted. Um, I know this question wasn't asked at me, but I just want to also give a shout out going back to yours, LA, on a drive of the weekend, because I don't think any of us have mentioned him. Felipe Drogovic had a terrific weekend and we've all skipped past him. I was just looking for some of my notes and I was like, oh yeah, the other double podium finisher at Monaco, Felipe Drogovic. You and I virtuosi save themselves of the strategy in the feature race after doing the poor gamble in sprint race two. Uh, uh, Drogovic was actually unfortunate to out-qualify or be in the wrong uh, qualifying group with Joe because he could have got the win for a sprint race one as well with the reverse grid. Um, but yeah, he, he drove such a mega race and the commentators didn't seem to pick up on it. But I was watching him, fastest lap, fastest lap, fastest lap, fastest lap, and just closing the gap. He put in a mega performance in the feature race. Yeah, definitely consistent. And it was a brilliant weekend from him. Uh, and maybe could be the weekend that throws him into championship contention as well. For uh, yeah, It gives him something to kick on with for the rest of the season. Um, a quick word on our Formula 2 graduates uh, and how they're doing in Formula 1. Uh, we've had Portugal, Spain and Monaco, obviously, since our last show. Monaco being today on the day we're recording. Uh, Hannah, what, what did you make of Yuki, Yuki Sonoda's performance over the last few races? Yuki, 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 honestly. I feel bad for him I feel bad for him but also I know it's all of the rookies I think are having a difficult time of things Yuki's probably got a better position in the fact that his AlphaTauri car is clearly quite strong if you look at Pierre Gasly during the race but he doesn't after his brilliant debut I think to be honest having that brilliant of a debut shot him in the foot a bit I think because I think it was Ross Braun was saying oh he's one of the best rookies we've seen in years they've hyped him up and the problem is you are going to struggle. He's off the pace, towards the back. I think it just shows how difficult it is for these drivers. So fingers crossed he has a better weekend in Baku because he needs it. He, he definitely has the potential. And, and LA, your assessment on Mick Schumacher's performance in, uh, since Imola? Um, yeah, I'm glad uh, you said Imola because who wants to say that full title of that full uh, circuit? <laughs> because we'll be here till midnight. Uh, yeah, um, well, obviously we did get the first two P16s in the first two races, uh, P17 in Portugal, and he's now had two P18s, um, which is last today. <laughs> um, do you know? Do you know what? Um, he's with the Haas team, the Haas car. We know about the Haas car. We all know about that. Um, and, you know, if he was in a better car, we know he would be higher up the grid because look at him. He can drive. Yeah. All right. He had a bit of a mishap, but so did Charles Leclerc. You know, other drivers have had mishaps. Jack Villeneuve's crashed, you know, at Monaco. Michael Schumacher's crashed at Monaco. You know, the, the, the greats, the wall of champions, you know, like the, like the one at Canada. It's um, he's doing well. He's in, he's in that category of drivers that, that crash at Monaco. So he's, he's, he's on the right page as far as I'm concerned. He's doing great. 
He certainly is. And Jim, a quick word on Nikita Mazepin's progress in Formula One. He uh, had a, a clean weekend in Monaco, which was, um, but yeah, good. There's a pig flying just above your head, Razor. Uh, <laughs> I am not Nikita's biggest fan. Um, I uh, am devastated Ilot isn't racing uh, this year, and I think he should have had the seat based off of last year. Mazepin's there again, we spoke about it briefly earlier. And in all fairness, he finished ahead of Schumacher at Monaco. I was looking, because there's little else to do outside of the pit stops, I was looking at the bottom of the timing screens and I saw Schumacher was losing something like four or five seconds across a lap, which is when Mazepin got past him. We never saw what actually happened. Maybe somebody who's got F1 TV Pro will share with that. But Schumacher completely outdid him at the hairpin on lap one. Um, which is one of the few overtakes of the race. It was a great move, yeah. And I thought that was just Schumacher saying, you need to get out of the way so I can have a fun race here, mate, because he knows he's a quicker driver. Um, The Haas is awful. You thought the Williams was bad over the last few years. Haas is making the Williams look particularly quick. It's such a bad car. We can't say for certain because there's no benchmark, there's no Grosjean, there's no Magnussen there to say... This is how we were last year. This is how we were this year. They've got two rookies, which is going to be a really difficult season. And they've set themselves up for that. They're all focused next year. And I don't think they've been developing the car after already. And we're in, what, May. So, yeah, they're going to have a a tough old season. But Mazepin, the only benchmark we've got is against Schumacher. And despite the finishing positions today, um, Schumacher is completely outdoing him. And Schumacher's binning it in practice session after practice session at Monaco. And I still think he was actually quicker than Mazepin was. And how far Mazepin has been off of Schumacher's pace in those earlier rounds that you mentioned, it's it's not looking good for him. The guy's had a torrid off-season with a lot of hatred directed at him, and we don't need to go into that as off-track reasons. Um, but all the guy needed to do is prove he deserves to be in Formula One, and thus far I haven't seen anything which says that he should be. It's a, it's a difficult has car to drive and, uh, you know, next season is going to be the season for them to, to really prove themselves, I think. Um, but unfortunately, that's all we've got time for, for today. So Hannah, LA, uh, Jim, thank you so much for your company on today's show. Uh, and thank you to you guys at home as well for joining us. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can, of course, join our community on Discord. You can find the link to that via our website. Uh, if you have any questions, please get in contact with us via social media and we'll try to answer them as much as we can. Uh, you can find the link to all of our social media channels by going to our website www.insidef2.com and by clicking the icons in the heading of course if you enjoyed the show please make sure you hit the subscribe button for more videos we do only have a couple of weeks until Baku so keep an eye out for our Baku preview uh, which will be out in just over a week's time but from me Fraser Ford and all of us here at Inside F2 we'll see you next time